All right, it's the best part of the week. Time to jam with JM about this fun, interesting week eight GPP slate. What should you do with Sam Ellinger? Can you attack this Lions-Dolphins game in a smart way? All of that on today's Block Party Show. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go. Hey everyone. Uh, JM, we are back. Every time I talk to you, it's it the week previous feels so far in the rearview mirror. It's like I've already exercised those demons, but I do always have to ask, how you doing? How was your week seven? Uh, it was, I don't remember. I, that was, <laughs> yes. That's the, I do my, my show with Squirrel Patrol on Fridays as well on Roto Grinders. And that's always how he starts the show is asking that. And I was thinking about it yesterday and I was like, especially doing NBA props now where I'm doing stuff every day. I'm like, I don't remember week seven, I, week seven. I think uh, my, my, it was cheap, Josh Jacobs uh, week. It was Josh. My, Jacobs. yeah, I had, I had Josh Jacobs everywhere. My cheap, uh, cheap wide receivers hit. I had Cleef Raymond and Marquise Goodwin and, a couple other guys who didn't hit quite as big, but uh, but didn't quite mix them. You know, last week I had the two weeks ago I had the Taekwon Thornton mixed with like Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen. So whatever those cheap guys unlocked didn't didn't hit um, last week. So yeah, it wasn't a huge week, not a bad week, but um, at least I have, at least I have my Josh Jacobs and my cheap wide receivers and turn the page to this week. There you go. Yes, we are turning the page to this week. Mike says no bit outfit. I think JM ran out of bit outfits. That's why I had to carry the load with my broccoli sweater. With the you, broccoli you... sweater, which I thought was a cauliflower sweater, it shows shows my uh, my vegetable acumen. <laughs> well, I will say it is a little ironic that you uh, blew your load on costumes, and then the Halloween show you don't have one there, JM. I mean, what's going on? You're right. You're right. In fact, I'm not even dressing up for anything as as Halloween this year. Uh, Thankfully, the kids did not choose an outfit for me. Although we did, um, my daughter, who's uh, close to two, she wanted to be Boo from Monsters, Inc. My wife made her this whole Boo outfit, took like a mop and cut it for the hair. And then she's terrified of the outfit, refuses to wear it. So I don't know if she's going to be anything either. But uh, yeah, William's going to be Buzz Lightyear. And and thankfully, I don't have to dress. I got my dressing up out of the way on on the show. There you go. There you go. Well, let's dive into it here uh, for this week eight slate. I guess one other thing to maybe not to uh, belabor last week too much, but I am curious, you know, I ended up uh, some of my early plays didn't hit. So I was getting off of Josh Jacobs late. How, how much were you kind of um, reacting to what your earlier plays did to ride the Josh Jacobs, or I'm just kind of curious how your thought process was knowing that he was going to be, you know, plus 50% owned in your contest. I think so last week I was, I'm trying to think, I, I didn't make any late swaps, but I think that I was basically like, I didn't have a shot at first place with, with anything where I had Josh Jacobs. And it was like, I thought that he was by far the best play um, in that price range and just kind of let it ride. But yeah, I think it was one of those weeks where it was evident to me that there wasn't a need to make a bunch of changes, but I really, I don't recall uh, exactly the thought process behind it beyond that I wasn't making changes on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, mine were down enough. And it, I will say there was a, enough options, you know, with KC and San Francisco that it didn't feel like the, you know, you were having to do the Hail Mary gross swaps. Like there was actually some viable stuff to get to. But yeah, I, I think, 
you know, a similar dynamic, you know, this week we do have a couple, you know, popular plays that are going to be late, but the kind of Josh Jacobs of this week is looking like it's going to be Tony Pollard and, and he's uh, playing early. So you don't even have the luxury of making that decision later. How, how are you thinking about Tony Pollard this week as he, you know, where does he fit in on the, like, Oh, this is the, the windmill slam dunk chalk of the year, or, or can you poke some holes in it? I could poke some holes in it just because we haven't seen, I mean, well, last year I think he had 15 carries when he was in the lead role. Is that right? Like I, and so the Cowboys don't really have anybody else, but I don't know that this is a spot where we just say, it's not like Josh Jacobs, right? Where Jacobs, we knew what his role was and we knew he's kind of in this Christian McCaffrey role and was clearly underpriced. Uh, but no, I like Pollard plenty this week. He's not a guy I'm like actively trying to move away from, but same as last week, I think I had, uh, let's say I had like 60 rosters in play last week. I had probably a Josh Jacobs on like 40, 45 of those rosters. And so not a hundred percent, but over the field. And I would think that I would approach things similarly this week with Pollard. Although realistically, there are other interesting running backs as well. There are expensive running backs who are interesting. There are some guys in that same price range, the Kenneth Walker, the Raheem Mostert. It's like, there are a lot of different ways to play running back this week. So a lot of times when it's like that, I think less about the individual players and more about just, how the roster is coming together. And then if that guy ends up on there, great. If he doesn't also great. Uh, I'm not as concerned about Pollard putting up like a 40 pointer, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so something like um, 24 points is very much in his range, 26 points, 28 points, 30 points, but he could also score, you know, 18, 17, 18 points. Um, so I don't think he's a guy who's going to totally bury you for not having him. I don't think he's, he's a guy who's going to bury you for playing him either. So he's a guy that I'm perfectly happy to play, but not necessarily a guy that I'm isolating. It's like, okay, this is where I'm riding the chalk. This is where I'm uh, planting my flag and making a decision. And it's a little bit different different with Sam Ellinger. Like, I think that that's more of a critical decision point, obviously. We'll talk about that more as we move throughout this show. But that's more of a critical decision point because of what else is available um, at the quarterback position and, like, where you actually could gain an edge and if there is an edge to be gained by going other places. But the big focus for me is less about the individual players this week and more about the game environments, right? There's yeah. – there's eight out of 11 games have an over under 44 and a half or lower. It's perfect, perfectly realistic for there to be only three games that combine for North of 45 points. Yeah. And then of those three games, it's perfectly realistic for two of them to finish, you know, between 45 and 50 points. And so then if one game goes for 60, 62, 65, it basically becomes Miami Baltimore. It doesn't have to go for 80 combined right. points the way that this slate shapes up a game going for 60 to 65 could be just a massive difference maker. So I'm more focused on how do I build a roster that accounts for Sam Ellinger correctly. And that doesn't necessarily mean that every roster accounts for him the same way, but as long as I'm doing it in a plus EV manner, that's what's important to me. And then accounts for these game environments that could hit. And then wherever Pollard fits in there is kind of like a tertiary concern as opposed to the primary uh, focus of my builds, if that makes sense. And I think that um, from a lot of people, probably that's one of the more critical decision points they'll be focused on. And so that just kind of brings me at things from a different angle. But I would expect that I would be even with the field, maybe a little bit above the field on Pollard. Yeah, and you mentioned the game environment stuff. And I want to, I always like doing kind of like a macro look before we start and get into the weeds. I see the chat already uh, interested in talking about uh, Sam Ellinger, which we are obviously going to hit today. But I am curious, you know, Dolphins-Lions, people are going to be very interested in that game with the 51 and a half. 
uh, total. You wrote about these in the Fantasy Life newsletter today as well. Raiders Saints, 49 and a half. Cardinals Vikings, 49. And then you included Giants Seahawks, 44 and a half. Do you think that are you going to have, do you think, a pretty tight range of, of games you're targeting? Because those other ones that I didn't mention, they, they don't seem to have near the potential as the four that we just discussed there. Yeah, I will. Every roster of mine this week will either be focused in some way will be focused on one of those three games. And it's a thing of like, if all those games just kind of finish around 50 points, well, then it didn't matter. But if one of those games goes off and it doesn't have to go off to some crazy degree, it doesn't have to go off in some like low percentage way, right? Like it can hit its 75th percentile outcome. And just because of the state of the slate, it can be just such a unique slate where it could be kind of the had to have it game environment. And so I will definitely be focused in some way. And and one of the things that I think people don't think enough about is when you're being different, if you're being different on something that can just marginally outscore everything else, it doesn't help you much at all. It's kind of pointless. But if you're being different on something that can significantly outscore everything else, that's where you're your edge is. And so uh, this week there, because of the way that the slate shapes up and so many of these low total games, the games that could significantly outscore the others become so critical. And it's the same, I mean, it's the same thing with Ellinger, right? Where we talk about what's the value of moving up to, I'll say it like this, anytime we can boil things down to real numbers, it makes things a lot easier on us. So we'll do that as we start talking about Ellinger. But when you go up to these 5k quarterbacks, 5,500 quarterbacks, how many of them can significantly outscore Ellinger? Like Mariota, I went through the list on the Angles podcast today, but like all of these guys, Tannehill, Mariota, uh, these guys all score like 15 to 18 points week in and week out. What's the edge of spending extra in salary and getting 15 or 18 points, right? Like you have to be looking for the quarterback who can significantly outscore Ellinger is the way to approach this slate. And same thing with these game environments. So I think that it sets up very uniquely with the way that the games shape up and with the presence of Ellinger and the way that these other quarterbacks shape up. Yeah. And kind of looking at early ownership projections for quarterbacks and um, you know, you have Ellinger, you have Tua who I think is going to be very popular and then some people getting up to Jalen Hurts, but like you said, when you look at these quarterbacks and I look at ceiling projections and, you know, I'm seeing Sam Ellinger around 25, like the spread from him to Kyler, you know, all of those guys could be in a similar range. Like Ellinger could be within sniffing distance of them. It does really seem like Hertz is like the only guy that could just absolutely lap Ellinger. Does that kind of track for you? Yeah. Hertz or like game environments, right? So like game if Lions, yeah. Lions and Dolphins ends up shooting out, we've seen Goff put up 36 this year. We've seen him put up, I think he put up a 27 pointer as well. So like if that one shoots out, then either of those quarterbacks could be it. If New Orleans and Las Vegas shoots out, either of those quarterbacks could be it. Uh, Cousins could be it, right? We've seen Cousins has one of the highest red zone passing rates in the NFL, but one of the lowest red zone touchdown rates so far. If we get some regression there, we can end up with a spot where Cousins puts up. He also has several games where he's close to the 300-yard bonus but hasn't gotten it. So give him 300 yards and give him three touchdowns. Cousins is a guy who could separate. And then Daniel Jones is a guy who can separate just from him being such a big schemed part of the running rushing attack. Outside of those guys, I don't see the need – to go to one of these other quarterbacks, because again, we can, so let's, let's boil Ellinger down to numbers, his bad game. Let's give him 30 rushing yards and 200 passing yards and no touchdowns. That's still 11 points. 
And so if he gets 11 points and Mariota gets 15 and not that anybody's playing Tannehill, but Tannehill gets 14 and Dalton gets 14 and like all these other guys in this range get their typical 14 to 18 points. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I'm fine taking 11. I don't want 11 points from Ellinger, but knowing that that's in his range of outcomes, I'm fine with that because of how much he saves me and what I'd be going to elsewhere. Like changing my salary structure to get seven extra points doesn't matter to me. I can be different somewhere else. Ellinger's kind of mid-range game, I've been saying is about 15 to 20 points. Uh, let's throw a touchdown pass in there or let's throw an extra 20 rushing yards. Let's throw an extra 50 passing yards. Uh, anywhere in that range of 15 to 20 is very realistic for him. And then if things go really well for him, he gets 20 to 25 points, which is the same thing you're seeing in projections, the same way I've been breaking it down. And so if he gets anywhere from like 15 to 25 points, it's probably pointless to go to these low 5K, mid 5K quarterbacks, unless you can find one, unless you can find the one guy who goes for 30 plus, right? And then Ellinger gets 18 and this guy gets 30. Now you're sitting pretty, but other than that, it, it's there's no edge gained in going to these other guys because that extra four or five points for the extra 1.5K in salary, it doesn't really help you at all. And your, your structure is a little bit different, but now you have to go with a worse player somewhere else where everybody else is able to go with a better player somewhere else. So um, yeah, to me, Ellinger is a guy I'm fine riding chalk on if I'm going away from him. Hertz is fine, right? Because Hertz can put up 30 plus points. Um, but I, I kind of want to be looking at who can put up 30, who can separate from Ellinger. The great thing about Hertz is he materially changes your salary structure yeah. as well. So um, there's something to that, to where we talked about this last week. Like it was my Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, uh, Jamar Chase rosters that had Tyquan Thornton because I was forced into that deeper salary savings. And so uh, Hertz can do that for your roster as well. But yeah, I'm looking at like, Goff and Tua as a game environment type bet. I'm looking at Dalton and Carr as a game environment type bet. I'm looking at Daniel Jones as a guy who can put up 30 points. And outside of that, I'm not getting too fine with trying to move off of Ellinger. Yeah, that makes it. And I know you don't typically necessarily view things through this lens, but I am curious for you. You know, I assume if I told you Ellinger is going to be 5% in all your contests, you would be very excited to jam that. If I told you it'd be 15%, maybe that's along what we expect. You know, what if I told you he's going to be 25, 30%? Would that start to shift things for you? Is there a tipping point for Ellinger's popularity where you would think that doesn't provide the best path to first place? I think it's a great question. Ellinger is such a unique situation. I've actually been, I've yet to look at ownership projections and everything I've thought through so far has been through the lens of 20 to 25%. Because I think as we get closer to the weekend, people are going to recognize that there's really not that much in this 5K range. And so why not just go to Ellinger? And so no, it doesn't really change my thought process there just because, again, when we look at the raw points, realistically, he's probably getting at least 13 points. This is a guy who's going to have schemed runs. He's going to have opportunities to score rushing touchdowns. And so when if we give him, and he's still like, they still want to be a balanced offense. They're, this wasn't a switch to be like, uh, 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 Titans offense where they're just going to give Jonathan Taylor 30 plus carries and hide Ellinger. They want to be passing the ball. He's going to get, you know, 27, 30 pass attempts, most games. And so, yeah, it's just, he's so cheap and it's such a sharp way to build rosters that the, the ownership doesn't impact things for me that much. I'm aware of it, but I kind of see it as a spot where it's like, look, if I ride the ownership on this guy, I can do enough different things in, in other spots. And other people might break that down differently. But for me, kind of the way I'm seeing the way Ellinger shapes up compared to the way the slate shapes up, uh, it just puts me in a position where I'm comfortable playing him and, 
and not worrying too much about his ownership. I'm curious, how do you think the default and not cash game build, but the default tournament build for people who do use Ellinger, obviously there's the conversation, would you ever consider stacking him? But it's also, we don't have, you know, last week I decided to pay down at quarterback to Daniel Jones because I really liked how that helped me flip the build and get up to a Mark Andrews that not a lot of people were playing. This week, we don't have any of those elite tight ends. People I haven't heard super excited to pay 9,600 for Cooper Cup. Um, obviously, Derrick Henry in a nice matchup. Normally, I would say, oh, people will do the Ellinger to get up to those elite, super high-priced studs. But between like CMC Cup and no elite tight end, I'm almost wondering, what are the naked Ellinger builds going to look like? Yeah, I think that we're going to see Derrick Henry. I think we're going to see Saquon Barkley. I think we're going to see Alvin Kamara. We're going to see Josh Jacobs. And so kind of this not quite mid-range, right? But a lot of times you'd pay for the 5K, 5,500 quarterback, and then get to a lot of these 6K guys. And so this week, I think it buys your your flexibility to get to a lot of these kind of 7K guys, these 7K, low 8K running backs. I don't know how popular Tyreek Hill will be, but if Tua is expected to be popular, I would imagine Tyreek Hill will be as well. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown will probably get a little bit lower ownership than he should because yeah. people are always kind of concerned when a guy's been missing time, even though it, it doesn't actually impact anything here. So I think we'll see a lot of people on kind of those players. What I think will be different on Ellinger rosters is taking Ellinger and then paying down at one of these wide receiver spots because there is nobody under 4.5K who projects really well. So if you go Ellinger and Braxton Berrios, if you go Ellinger and Robbie Anderson, if you go Ellinger and Van Jefferson, who still has the little yeah. IR tag next to his name and nobody's thinking about him. And I went through his game logs on the Angles podcast. It's like half his games last year, he was scoring double digit points. He had 16 points, 18 points, 21 points, 15 points. And it's like, he's 3K and invisible to everybody. Uh, and so, you know, I don't think a lot of people are going to take Ellinger and then also they'll be like okay now I've got my pay down right and so they don't feel like they need to take that swing on another cheap wide receiver and so then they won't have the like extra high priced guy or they won't have Cooper Cup or however it ends up shaping up that there's just a lot of flexibility that that can buy you so that's one of the things I'm interested in in pursuing this week in terms of like okay here's a way to play Ellinger that's different from the way other people are going to be playing him. Yeah, and then just to kind of round out the Ellinger combo, um, and we're going to actually, we won't do the exact building block that I think we might mess with or talk about when we get there, but would you stack him ever with a pass catcher? I think collective sentiment is this move to Ellinger is bad for Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell. A little optimism for Alec Pierce is more of kind of a deep ball threat here. Where are you at as far as how Ellinger affects these pass catchers? I wouldn't take anything off the board in large field contests where you're just kind of like, hey, what could happen? But in terms of like staying fine with our builds and trying to control what we can control, I mean, Pittman's a guy I, I really never roster because he's basically Keenan Allen, right? Like when he sees his 16, 19 target games, he produces at the score that you really want him to get. Like he can put up 30, but that's what you need at his price tag. And he requires one of these massive volume games. And now we're not going to see as heavy a passing volume. So I actually think, you know, it, we saw with Cooper Rush, these 
backup quarterbacks, they move through their progressions more slowly. So they latch onto their number one option a little bit more where somebody like Dak can come in, he can fire through his progressions quickly and CD lambs target rate target share actually goes down with somebody like Dak in there. So I think that Ellinger could actually latch onto Pittman a little bit more, but the volume, the passing volume is going to be lower. And so Pittman won't get the volume there. Um, Paris Campbell, I've been a Paris Campbell truther for like three years and I've given up trying to predict or guess anything there because at this point I'm like, whatever, I've, I've always got him on a bunch of my best ball rosters and I'm not going to try to figure out when he's going to produce in, uh, in DFS. And same thing with Alec Pierce, right? I, I think there's just too many question marks to try to predict that. We're, we're going to see 30 or fewer pass attempts in most of these Ellinger games or maybe 28 to 32 pass attempts. And um, that's not a lot of volume to go around compared to what we've had with, with Matt Ryan under center. I'm curious as far as, you know, other, you know, we talked about Pollard, we talked about Ellinger, some of these other, you know, very popular spots here. Um, are, is there any other uh, chalk that you find interesting? It, it actually, right now I'm seeing DJ Moore projecting for the highest owned wide receiver, which I get it value wise. I almost don't know if I buy that. Uh, but how are you thinking about some of the chalk at, at wide receiver DJ Moore, obviously Tyree Kill. Uh, so yeah, DJ Moore is, like I said, I haven't looked at ownership yet, but DJ Moore's on my player grid just in terms of like, Hey, here's a sharp play. Is he a guy I'm mm -hmm. actually going to end up playing myself? Almost certainly not. Uh, because again, I want, I'm always fine letting people chase the safe plays that project well, but don't have super high ceiling because if everybody gets those 15 points from DJ Moore or whatever, like that's great for their roster, but it doesn't kill me. And it opens up a pathway for me to try to find somebody who puts up 30. Yeah. Um, and same thing. Like I, I would imagine Deandre Hopkins will grab some ownership this week after a nice game yeah. last week. He's played 27 games for the Cardinals. He's topped 30 DraftKings points once. I think it was like a 30.7 point game. Uh, so those are the types of guys like CD lamb last week, these guys who it's like, yeah, yeah, they're not going to kill your roster, but they're also not going to kill you for not playing them. Uh, I want to be aware of those types of guys. Somebody like Tyree Kill, he's a guy who's seen 12-plus targets in five of seven games. He's very central to this offense. He can score from anywhere on the field. So he's the type of guy who I'm like, I don't, I don't care that he's high-owned. I care that if I don't have him, there's a chance that he puts up a 40-burger and I can't win without him. So that doesn't right. mean he's definitely going on my main build. But somebody like him, he's a guy who I'm like, okay, I want to pay attention to him. I would also guess if Tyree Kill is going to be popular, I'm guessing Devontae Adams is com coming in with kind of lower ownership yes. projections. So that's nice leverage off of Josh Jacobs, Marshawn Lattimore. Out again, the Saints really haven't changed up their defensive structure without Lattimore, which means they're still playing a lot more man coverage, but then there's nobody to cover somebody like Devontae Adams. So I think that there's some interesting ways, you know, we know what Arizona's done to number one receivers. Chris Olave hit them, but Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf got shut down. Cooper Cup got shut down. Devontae Adams got shut down. AJ Brown got shut down. These are the top wide receivers in the NFL. Jamar, uh, uh, Justin Jefferson's in that conversation. He's in that group, but Justin Jefferson is probably going to be too popular for what Arizona has done to wide receivers. And um, so, yeah, I think that there's just some interesting ways to be different this week at wide receiver and still find that upside. But yeah, a guy like Tyreek Hill, he's a guy who I'm going to be like, okay, whatever his ownership is, he's still on the bucket for me because he can yeah. put up a score that I have to have. And I want to account for that. DeAndre Hopkins, whatever his ownership is, I won't have him because if he hits 30 points, that would be an extremely rare outcome for him. And that doesn't kill me. Um, I'm more concerned about the guys who can hit 40 without me on them. 
Yeah, and what you said about Jefferson, too, and it's, it's partly his price, too, but I think at the price and that matchup, I do think his ownership will stay in check. And I also think it's probably why Irv Smith's ownership is trending up a little bit. You know, he's the price, and I do think we're at that point in the season where people are looking at some of those splits. You know, Smith calls it the flow chart. You know, some of these defenses that have kind of funnel tendencies, I do think that will ultimately track over here for the Vikings this week. Yeah, the uh, I played the Thursday to Monday last week just to get uh, as much Juwan Johnson as I could yeah. in this matchup. This has been very much uh, a matchup I've been targeting with tight ends this year. We had Noah Fant in the player grid two weeks ago, and uh, he had a nice Dallas Goddard game in there against against Arizona. So, yeah, Irv Smith, I'm on board with that one. Uh, makes sense that his ownership's trending up a little bit. You know, another guy who's interesting is uh, Devontae Smith, 6,300. Mm. is a guy who nobody ever wants to play him. His targets aren't projectable, but people want to play Jalen Hurts. People are aware that his pass catchers can hit for big games. Uh, so that's another spot where we can kind of find something interesting to do to kind of differentiate, grab a lot of upside. There's certainly pieces that don't project as well, but could hit for big games. Brandon Ayuk's another one. And these guys are priced right next to Chris Olave, who's going to be attractive to people. And, and so there's certainly plenty that we can do this week at wide receiver to be different and grab a lot of upside. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that too with the Eagles because – um, I, I, I'm almost just assuming with how gross tight end is that the people who play Jalen Hurts are probably going to be using Goddard for the most part, or at least including him in a double stack. And I think across AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, and even Miles Sanders, I feel like all three of those guys are going to be pretty under the radar, which is weird for the team with what the highest implied team total on the slate. It's been like that, right? It's been, yeah. it's been strange and people want to, when they don't know who to pair a quarterback with, but the quarterback has rushing upside, they love to just be able to go, oh, well, I'll just play Jalen Hurts. And if Jalen Hurts puts up 30 points, that's probably optimal because he might not be bringing any of his pass catchers with him. But technically, if you're rostering Jalen Hurts, you should be betting on him putting up one of his 40-pointers. You should be betting on him putting up a had to have it game, right? If he puts up 27 and doesn't bring any pass catchers with him, you feel pretty smart for, for not going there. But then also, why did you need to spend 8,300 on a guy who put up 27 points? So if Jalen Hurts puts up 35, he puts up 37, he's probably bringing a pass catcher with him and you'll get a, a lot lower ownership by pairing Jalen Hurts with one of his pass catchers. So I've uh, two of what were seven weeks, seven weeks behind us, two of the seven weeks so far I've had, um, Hertz plus pass catchers as on, on my main build, just because it's like it, you get such lower ownership with so much upside if it ends up hitting on the high end of its range. For sure. Yeah. And I want one more, just as we kind of talk about some of those like levers that you can pull on chalk. If Tony Pollard is one of the most popular running backs on the slate, which we think he will be, we also have chalk CD lamb last week burning people. Is that a lever that you'd be interested in pulling as far as CD lamb direct leverage? on Pollard or would that just be if I'm fading uh, Pollard, I'm not looking to exploit it elsewhere? No, I think I, you'd probably get a different answer from a lot of other people and they would say, yes, uh, I don't, uh, to me, this is such a run-based offense that I would need to be able to paint the picture for myself. And, and, and I think that part of the edge I have right now is that people, and it's going to start going away pretty quickly, but when Dak came back, we talked about it last week, people are like, oh, they're going to pass the ball more. They're going to open up the offense. And it's like, if you listen to Mike McCarthy, that's not the case. They're going to stay in this balanced offense unless they're in a game environment where they're being pushed. So if I'm playing CeeDee Lamb, I then want to 
build around a game environment in which Chicago is pushing them. And then I'm like, well, that's not a game environment that I think is particularly realistic. And so uh, CD Lamb's not a guy that I'm going to be going to at 7K just because I think that the paths to him having a monster game are a lot slimmer than most of the field will realize, even in a week where he's going to be lower owned. But uh, I think you'd probably get a different answer from from other people on that one who would, you know, because it is from like a natural leverage standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. And if you're probably, if you're looking at projection systems and stuff, there's some aspects to CD Lamb's game that look good. Um, from the stuff I look at, not as much. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes sense there as well. Um, what do we got going on in the chat? Oh, uh, Rand Dazzler reminded me the Deposit Kingdom rake-free tournament is live. I think I have it pinned in the chat right now. That link is available in the Discord in the announcement section. We're at 290 out of 400. Let's get that bad boy filled. This is also a good time to remind you guys that if you are digging what JM is saying, you need to check out one week season, all kinds of great content going on over there. We're going to end up building a lineup here in a little bit that uses some of the building blocks that he writes about in the scroll, which is their long form piece of content features thoughts from JM, a bunch of their contributors. It really is the best way to kind of level set you for this GPP slate. And we still got 20% off going with promo code Pete and jam. Do we still got the 40% going for We've OWS got DFS? code Pete 40 that we forgot okay. to mention until the very end of the show last week. But yeah, yep. any uh, season long subscriptions are 40% off with Pete 40. Now that we're deeper into the season. So that's inner circle. That's OWS DFS. So yeah, you can take 20% off the week past 20% off OWS for life with code Pete. You can take 40% off rest of season subscriptions with Pete 40. Awesome. So yeah. And uh, also to uh, be sure if, if anyone, if you guys sign up for a rest of season sub with promo code Pete, and you also want access to the hand builder and Optobro channel in the discord, just send me a screenshot of your sub and I will add you to that as well. You can also get access to that by becoming a YouTube member. That is what gets you access to the Sunday morning crams and uh, all kinds of other good stuff in that channel. We've been having fun on these showdown slates as well. Um, let's keep talking about this slate and we're going to build a lineup here in a second, but just another kind of macro thought here, Jam, like looking at just like the ownership percentages for both kind of the top running backs and wide receivers, it does really feel spread out. And I know we mentioned Tyreek. I know we mentioned Pollard, but this does not feel like a hyper concentrated chalk week. It really does seem like people are going to be kind of mixing and matching the pieces they want, which is really kind of driving me toward wanting to like overstack a single game and hit that game environment that goes nuts. Yeah, it's, it's, like we said, right, there's no edge in finding the piece that like marginally outscores others. Now, obviously, sometimes you're going to target the piece that can significantly outscore others and it just marginally outscores them. But you have to give yourself the a path to those pieces that can significantly outscore the others, because if you get one spot where you're way above everybody else, that's just such an edge. And so this is such an interesting week where the slate sets up really well for us to kind of like plow our rosters into one game because one game can make such a huge difference on the slate. So instead of getting on that one player that makes a big difference, we have potential for there to be one game that scores. And like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't have to hit a 95th percentile outcome a 99th percentile out outcome. One game hitting a 75th percentile outcome could make 
that the game that you had to have and that basically it's like impossible to win a tournament without that game and and it's pretty clear what those games are likely is to be and it's a week in which a lot of people won't be building correctly and i think that you know so many people just target good players across their roster and, and they don't look at their roster and say okay can this roster score 240 points because not to say that every roster that you put together that can score 240 will but if it can't you're never going to win a tournament and so right. you got to be able to look at these rosters and say like okay this guy can go for 30 this guy can go for 40 this guy can go for 25 and this week there's an easy way to do that and just saying like okay here's the games that can end up popping off uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the fact that if ownership gets spread out, I, I think that weeks like this, people just play it worse than other weeks, generally speaking. And so it gives us an edge this week to recognize, like, there are individual spots that just, like, can significantly move past everything else. Same thing with the Ellinger discussion, right? He's 4K, so we can't just go to these 5K quarterbacks who are a little bit different. We've got to go to the guys who can put up the 30-pointer. Uh, and that that also ties into the whole game environment thing. So, yeah, I love this. I love this week. I love the way it sets up. And like I said, there's ways to be different in terms of salary allocation, even with Ellinger. There's ways to be different without Ellinger. Uh, and the main thing for me is just, hey, what are these game environments that can hit? Yeah, and it's it's unique too in that, you know, we've had some of these weeks when the Bills and the Chiefs are in here and it's like, wow, this is a really attractive game, but it's super hard to fit it in. We've seen it with the Chiefs a bunch where it's like Travis Kelsey's 8K, Mahomes is 8,300. How do, how do I even make this work? Whereas the game environments this week, I mean, we could go through all the games we like and it's not hard to build stacks with that. And then you toss in an Ellinger that people are doing it without it and it almost feels like it might throw people off the scent of the game stacks where they're like, I can cherry pick my favorite plays with a punt tight end in Ellinger, as opposed to what's our path of beating, you know, the best one-off plays. Well, it is nailing that correlation, nailing those plays that we're going all in on a game where it feels gross, like maybe playing a Devonta Smith when you can get a, a you know, a better projected, you know, player as a one-off. I, I could see that dynamic unfolding. Yeah. And any place where, We've talked about this, but any place where you can do something that feels gross to do, but that still has the upside, you basically know that nobody else is doing it because they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. And so, yeah, there's like little individual ways to pull the trigger differently this week in terms of, you know, we hit on some of these wide receivers who will be lower owned. And plus, I think, you know, now Dante Foreman is, is Hubbard's going to be out this week for Carolina. So yep. that opens up another running back. As we already mentioned, Kenneth Walker is attractive this week. Miles Sanders is attractive this week. Raheem Mostert is attractive this week. So I think the ownership is going to get spread out to some extent. Pollard will be the most popular, but there are plenty of different ways to go this week. And uh, then same thing at wide receiver where wide receivers probably where we'll gain our biggest edge because people will, will cling to those pieces that are like, oh, this guy projects well and can get me safe points, but may, might not have the type of ceiling that we'll be looking for in our builds. Yeah, and even just a few kind of newsy other things that could, uh, dare I say, flip the slate on its head. James Conner uh, did not participate in the portion of practice open to media today. That was after getting in two limited sessions. And also Ryan Tannehill did not practice. I actually don't know off the top of my head. Do you know what Malik Willis's uh, salary is? I'm thinking it's 4K, but I don't know. <laughs> now that that would be very fun if we had another 4K uh, mobile quarterback that opened up on this slate, but we'll save some of that speculation. Okay. Malik Willis is 5k. 5k. Okay. And I'll tell you, I personally, I would, I would take uh, Ellinger at 4k over Malik at 4k. So same That's at fair. 5k. And I think that ownership would flow toward Malik a little bit because people are excited about, uh, targeting that spot as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, one other thing, just mentioning 
Um, we, we, we talked about how there isn't a ton of wide receiver value. Once again, you mentioned, you know, Van Jefferson, obviously there's some stuff if you really go digging, but nothing that's like popping in a way that people are excited to jam it. We did, haven't talked a lot about tight end other than the fact that there aren't those elite guys at the top. I mean, when you look at kind of optimals, you are seeing Noah Fant pop up there uh, at 2,800, but I'm kind of curious, how are you thinking about tight end this week? Or is it one of those things where it's like, I'm going to just be correlating tight end with whatever game I'm stacking? The two like individual players who stand out to me are Pat Fryer, Pat Fryermuth, because he has this downfield role. It's so rare to find a tight end who can actually get six catches for 75 yards, right? Like uh, Higby and, and Hurst, these other guys who are high target, they catch everything four or five yards downfield. So Fryermuth is very interesting as a guy who's an actual seam stretcher and can put up a big game. Irv Smith is interesting to me in this matchup. And then there are other guys, you know, I, I don't think I'll end up on Noah Fant just because it could be Disley. It could be Fant. It could be Parkinson. Like we don't, Fant played like 52 snaps last week, but we don't know where the targets are going to go on that offense. I get it. If DK Metcalf is out some leverage off of that, if, if Fant becomes popular is D Eskridge, who's going to be on the field quite a bit this week. Uh, he played 30 snaps last week, mostly after DK Metcalf went down. And again, finding these cheap wide receivers who you can't project their, their scoring, but they can hit 15 to 20 points. Khalif Raymond last week, Marquise Goodwin last week, Tyquan Thornton a couple weeks ago. Those guys are so valuable in tournaments. But yeah, tight end, uh, it's those two guys. Uh, Logan Thomas is another guy down here at the, the lower end. So it's like, oh, this guy could hit for a bigger game than people realize. And then outside of that, it'll be primarily for me about correlating within my, my builds. So it's like, not to say that those are the only two tight ends I'll be focused on, but those are the two tight ends, Irv Smith and uh, Pat Fryermuth, who stand out to me. And then from there, it's like, okay, and where can we find upside in, in other spots? Yeah. Um, one other spot I wanted to talk to you about that we haven't mentioned yet before we start building around some of your blocks is I did run um, some optimals and stuff, just looking at lineups before the show. And one other thing I did, as I said, all right, if I, if I run an optimal and I force a quarterback with a double stack and a bring back, what pops up? And uh, I was pretty stunned to see that when you do that, you get a ton of Marcus Mariota, Drake London, Kyle Pitts and DJ Moore. That is what the optimizer is saying is the optimal double stack with a bring back. I'm curious just how you're thinking about this Falcons offense. What they're doing is incredibly absurd from, you know, a pass rate above expectation standpoint. And yet you look at these prices here for Pitts and London and Mariota, they're all very palatable. DJ Moore, the field, you know, based on projected ownership is already on him here. Is this just like a total trap spot or is there something to some of these early numbers you know, showing this in uh, optimal lineups. I, I mean, I can see it in large field play just because you don't want to cross anything off your list in large field play. There could be a wonky game environment, but we're also looking at Mariota through what was it, 14 passes and a blowout yeah. loss to Cincinnati. And they got the ball back down like 17 points and we're running the ball. I mean, this is, it's, it's very clear. And this is one of the things I've talked about where, you know, projection systems have talked to me in the past about, Hey, do you have time on Saturdays to kind of talk about things where we can sort of adjust places where the projections might not be able to account for the real life elements, whether that's a player being injured or changing roles or uh, changing approaches. And so uh, is this is an NBA, right? Where minutes and usage rates are all going to kind of add up and projections are going to be pretty consistent or even MLB where on a game to game basis, they're going to be off because there's so much variance, but over a season MLB projections are going to be highly accurate in the NFL. It's so much harder to account for all of these little things. And 
what the coaches want to do. So for me, there's nothing in the projections that would make me say, oh, okay, I must be wrong about the way Arthur Smith is calling these games. Um, I mean, I watch every Arthur Smith press conference. I listen to everything he says about how he wants to win games. And I'm like, no, this everything that he's done tracks with everything he says. And so there's no reason for me to think that he's suddenly going to shift. If he does, great for anybody who takes the shot in large field play. That's, that's kind of the beauty of large field play, but uh, not for me this week. Yeah, that is uh, completely fair. On on a similar note, I will say when I squint, Tyler Algier kind of looks a little interesting to me this week at 5,400. Again, going back to just what you said, we know how Arthur Smith wants to play, and uh, it's not a bad matchup there. I don't think anyone's going to play him here. Uh, he looked interesting to me. Yeah, when you look at a guy's game logs and they're a rookie and you see nine points, 11 points, nine points, 10 points, your thought is, oh, this guy doesn't have any ceiling. But that's because of the sample size we've seen so far. Like the moment that Algier puts up a 22-pointer, then everybody's going to be like, oh, well, this guy can hit for 22 points, right? So we just haven't seen it yet, so we think that he can't do it. But realistically, he's getting enough touches that breaking a long run, cracking the 100-yard bonus, scoring multiple touchdowns, any of those things are in play for him. So, yeah, I I've looked at Algier this week. There's a lot of good running backs this week that – that's not like a standout play, but also, you know, who wasn't a standout play last week was Brian Robinson, but I played him on a handful of rosters because he was 0.5% owned in projections. Uh, I also put down a big bet on his over for carries, which was set at 12 and a half last week. And it was like, everything you hear from Ron Rivera is it's very evident that they're going to emphasize Brian Robinson. He had 20 carries last week. And so same thing with Algier, right? It's like, it's not a sharp play but it's sharper than ownership will indicate, which makes it a sharp play. Like it's a play that would, would make you money over time. Yeah. And then the, you know, the riddle I think is always trying to figure out how much opportunity cost is there at running back this week with so many good plays. Like, is that just not a spot where you are, you're giving up too much by not taking one of the, yeah, other, yeah. You know, he has to hit plays. all these yeah. other guys have to miss. Yeah. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough needle to thread there, but I think it's, it's viable and like, not just the Millie maker, but the slant and like other super large field contests where you're trying to finish first out of tens of thousands of rosters. Yeah. And we've, I mean, how many times have we seen it hit this year? I mean, he's more expensive than a 4,800 Rashad Penny when he broke uh, the Slater. I don't know if he was 4,800 when he broke it, but we had the 4,800 week. We had the Dion Jackson week where it's just like a lot of these guys, you don't, you don't believe it until you see it thing. And uh, I think it's within his range of outcomes. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. It's time for the block party folks. You were telling me uh, some of the building blocks for week eight, some of which you guys are going to have to check out in the scroll on one week season this weekend. But what do you got for us here? Which one are you going to tease right here in front of the paywall? So we had two that we talked about. One has a cheap quarterback and one has a more expensive quarterback. Which one do you want to go with? Let's do uh Let's let's do Ellinger. Ellinger is such a hot topic of conversation. Let's see how we build a smart, logical lineup around this 4K punt uh, QB. So the Ellinger block is Ellinger plus Jonathan Taylor. It's 12K and combined salary. And we're basically looking at the entire offense. Every touchdown that's scored for the Colts will be accounted for 
in this build because it's either going to be Ellinger passing, Ellinger rushing, or Jonathan Taylor rushing. The only way that we don't get the touchdowns is if Naheem Hines comes in and vultures a touchdown from Jonathan Taylor. I would expect that Jonathan Taylor, especially when we're looking at Jim Irsay being involved and calling the shots in a, in a Jerry Jones type manner, I would imagine that one of the things he said this last week is also hey, I don't want to see Jonathan Taylor getting 10 carries, right? I'd like to see this guy getting minimum of 20 carries. Now, last week he had 10 carries and eight targets. Uh, his price is 8K. It's not a bad matchup. This is a guy who was the one the one, one pick, the number one overall pick in a lot of fantasy drafts two months ago, and now everybody's kind of leaving him for dead. Uh, and most people who are playing Ellinger won't be playing Jonathan Taylor and vice versa. So we get a nice little combo play here. 12, 12K in salaries. Can these guys combine for 50 points? Can Ellinger score 20 and Jonathan Taylor score 30? Absolutely, right? It's very easy for uh, a running back like Jonathan Taylor, a focal point running back to score 30 and for their quarterback to also score 20. Uh, and, you know, if Ellinger is doing well on the ground, it opens up lanes for Jonathan Taylor and vice versa. So the pairing works well together. If this ends up being a nice, uh, nice game for the Colts, we could easily put up 50, 55, even 60 points between these two. And then the real uh, nut outcome is uh, Jonathan Taylor catches that screen pass, right? Like that, that's when you're really cooking. Yeah. And they've, we've seen them increase his pass catching role this year. And we've seen most other running backs in the NFL see a decrease in pass catching role. So a few years ago, a guy getting four targets at running back at an expensive running back, you'd be like, well, that's not good enough because there's guys over here getting 10 targets, 12 targets. We don't really have that anymore. Saquon Barkley seeing kind of seven, six, seven targets. A lot of these games, uh, Christian McCaffrey is going to have some targets, but most of these guys up here, you know, a four or five target game is a really good game for them. Jonathan Taylor's probably going to be able to get into that range. So yeah, he's certainly capable of pairing with Sam Ellinger, doubling up points for you here as well. Yep. Yeah. And I guess, so two follow-ups on this, everything you said makes sense to me. I would say like, I remember week one, and I think I even brought this example up last week when we had the Trey Lance, Eli Mitchell, and I ended up um, wanting to use those guys on separate rosters, thinking of, you know, if they're, you know, scoring the touchdowns, if Lance is getting a rushing touchdown, that those guys would be negatively correlated. Are you at all worried about that? And then if not, if we're playing for the scenarios where the Colts have a really good game and both of these guys get there, do you want to entertain a Washington piece contributing to that game environment? We could include a Washington piece. So one of the things that I want to think about here is the specific salary that we're working with, right? And so it's the same thing as like, oh, well, if we play Ellinger, do we have to stack him with a pass catcher? We see all the time quarterbacks put up 20-point scores, and that doesn't mean that their pass catcher had, had to have it score, right? And so I'm, I want to look at Ellinger through the lens of what he actually costs in turn, and then how they're actually going to use him, how he's going to get his upside. Like he's going to get some of his upside with his legs. So it's for that reason that obviously I think most people would be on board with this this week, but you don't have to force uh, a correlated pairing, a pass catcher with Ellinger. But similar thing with Jonathan Taylor in that it's not like we need, we can, we can draw up the numbers, right? Let's say that Ellinger has 230 passing yards. So that gives him nine points there, 225 passing yards. Let's say he has 40 rushing yards. And let's say he rushes for a touchdown. Well, that's 19 points right there. And then let's say that Jonathan Taylor has, you know, his typical 30-point game and he gets two touchdowns. That could be a game in which the Colts only score three touchdowns. They might only score 21, 24 points. They could win 24 to 14. And these guys are worth 50-plus combined points. 
but that's not a game environment that we necessarily have to target. So like I said earlier, anytime we can boil things down to raw numbers, it helps us make these decisions a little bit better. So this is not a spot where I would avoid a bring back, but the fact that I'm playing them does not mean that I need a bring back because it's not, it's not speaking to a game environment in which a bring back is necessary. Yeah. And I do imagine just because, I mean, I think if you did the flow chart of what people would, you know, do with Sam Ellinger, it's probably what first naked, to maybe Alec Pierce, maybe three, a Paris Campbell Pittman. I I have a feeling that Ellinger Taylor would be like fourth, fifth down the line of what anyone would naturally get funneled to. Yeah, no, it's not something that people are going to think about. Like like you were saying with the questions of, hey, how does this play? Is it negatively correlated? How does this play off of? Uh, how do these plays play off of each other? By that question coming up, it tells us the most people won't be thinking about it. I'm pulling up ownership projections for the first time. Jonathan Taylor is currently projected at 4.6% owned. If we would have told you yep. two months ago that you could get Jonathan Taylor at 8K and sub 5% ownership, everybody would have jumped at it. And now he's been, he was injured. He missed a couple games. He's not seen as many touches the last couple of games. And now people have kind of forgotten about him. But now you have a running quarterback. There's going to be some RPOs. It's going to open up some lanes for Jonathan Taylor. All of a sudden, he's in a great spot for a 30-pointer, and he's going to be under 5% owned. Maybe that ownership goes up a little bit. But as we also know, if he's 5% owned, and most people who have him aren't pairing him with Ellinger, well, then that tells us that the Ellinger plus Jonathan Taylor pairing is going to be 1% owned, 2% owned at the most. And so, yeah, it's just a really nice starting point where – these guys don't work against each other as much as people think, and they can certainly hit together and put you put you in a nice position. Uh, it kind of concentrates our bets too, right? On a week where there's a lot of ugly games, well, what if the Colts do score 28 points, right? What if they do score four touchdowns and win this game 28 to 17? And these two account for all of those touchdowns. Well, now you're sitting at 55 plus points, uh, and you're in tremendous position with with this salary that you spent here. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting about it too is like most people who are going to be using Ellinger, they're going to use that as the green light to play Derrick Henry, to play Barkley. And so now you're also getting kind of like a direct pivot at the running back salary range that most people are going to get to there. Um, Okay, so we have a fun, unique start here. I have a feeling now we're going to start getting funneled toward another game environment we like where we want to maybe go heavy on a specific game. Is that uh, is that where your head's at as well? Yeah, and I don't want to get – I tend to sometimes marry a spot too early in the week, and it's like, oh, I've got to play this. And so I need to get to a point uh, tonight and on Saturday where I'm forcing myself to build some rosters without this pairing. But I really like the two things. I really like the Miami-Detroit game as one of the three games that can hit, and I really like the Tyreek Hill-Amon Ross-St. Brown pairing. And uh, another block that we talked about, we could throw it in here if we wanted, is you can pair that with Raheem Mostert. And it's something that most people wouldn't have, right? All three of those guys together. And most people are going to have Tua on their Tyreek Hill roster. And so you're basically saying, instead of betting on the Dolphins scoring a bunch of points through the air, you're betting on a team that actually wants to win on the ground, but that has Tyreek Hill as their focal point through the air. So Tyreek Hill, because he's such a focal point in the air, he can put up 12 catches or let's say 10 catches for 130 yards with Tua only throwing for 270, 280. Tua doesn't need to have a had-to-have it game in order for Tyree Kill to have a had-to-have it game. And so you basically, with with Mostert, you end up betting on like, 
hey, Miami has a big game. Most are taking away touchdowns from Tua. Tyreek Hill's getting the points to the air. Amon Ross St. Brown is getting the points for Detroit. If if these guys are hitting, it pushes the game environment forward. If the game environment is being pushed forward, these guys are hitting. Like it all works really well together. And we're going to get kind of a, you know, not low ownership on the individual pieces, but lower combinatorial ownership than we could get from most other ways. So right now we have Tyree Kill at 22%, Amon Ross St. Brown at 14%, Raheem Mostert at 19%. So all high owned guys, but how many people are throwing Mostert into the stack? How many people are taking Tua off this stack? So we have something that's really different here to pair with another pairing with Ellinger and Jonathan Taylor that's already really different. And we know that most of these Tyree Kill rosters don't have Ellinger. Most of these Tyree Kill rosters have Tua. So we know that we're going to, like, even though we've got four high-owned guys here, we're in a really unique position where our four, four high-owned guys are still on a really unique low-owned roster. Yeah. Yeah, and that is an interesting thing because I guess would you say a scenario you're avoiding, like we we reference always that that Ravens-Dolphins game that went absolutely nuclear and, and everyone got there. If that scenario happens for this Dolphins-Lions game, do you think you are going to want Tua or Jared Goff in that you know 95th percentile outcome game? In the 95th percentile outcome game, yeah. And that's what makes this slate so unique is that we don't need a 95th percentile out- outcome game. So we're kind yeah. of placing a unique bet here where what we're saying is most of the games on the slate play out the way that they're expected to play out, which would be very disappointing for DFS. And then this one game hits its 75th percentile outcome. So it doesn't quite go up to 75th, 80th, even 70th, right? But anywhere from like 70th to 85th percentile outcome, Tua doesn't become the had-to-have-it guy here. And so it's not until we get up to like that 90th, 95th percentile where this game's combining. For, and, and the Lions have had games like that, right? 35 to 38. And that's off the top of my head. That was against, uh, that was week one. I don't remember what, what their other, that was week one against Philly. But they've had some other like 30 to 30 something games, right? And so we could certainly have a game like that where both teams put up a ton of points. But we also should keep in mind that our perception of Miami is built off of that Baltimore game. And then we look at the rest of their games and it's been nothing like that the rest of their games. And Mike McDaniel has said that he wants to be run-based, that everything for his offense should be built from the ground outward. And so this is a nice way to kind of account for the fact that, look, the Lions built their team with the best offensive line in football with DeAndre Swift, they want to run the ball and then be able to pass off of that. Miami wants to run the ball and then be able to pass off of that. So we're able to actually account for the way that these teams actually want to win. Hope that this game ends up combining for 60 ish points instead of 80 ish points. If it combines for 80 ish points, we're in trouble here. But yep. if it combines for 60 ish, which is probably likelier then a lot of other games end up combining for 40 ish. We're, we're in tremendous shape with a roster like this. And what's also really cool is, because we can, we'll, we'll pay down one of these wide receiver spots, pay down a tight end, pay down at defense. We're going to have some salary left over to do something interesting in this last spot as well. That most people won't have. Jonathan Taylor, Tyreek Hill, Amon Ross, St. Brown doesn't look like we're going to end up with Tony Pollard on this roster either, which is going to be really unique and different. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's just a lot that's going on with this roster that puts us in in a fun position to chase that first place finish. Yeah, and this might be one too where when we're done building it, that it has a relatively high cumulative ownership, but the product ownership with John and Finn Taylor is going to be very low. And 
the combination of not having the chalkiest piece on the slate, most likely in Tony Pollard will also make it unique there. So I'm with you on that. One other just like news thing. We did just get confirmation that James Conner is officially out for this game. Darrell Williams is a game day decision. They're calling it, but it looks like we are going to get Eno opening up as a play at 6K again, which is which is fairly interesting for a slate that already has a ton of running back plays. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, Eno, Eno gave up some work to Keontae Ingram last week, uh, more than he had the week before. But yeah, like I said, Dante Foreman's interesting. Eno Benjamin's interesting. It's going to spread out this ownership a little bit and, and give us some interesting things to uh, play around with this week for sure. Um, so I, I'm just going to throw one out there, and I, I always like uh, getting your thoughts more than mine when we're doing this show. But two guys you did mention that I think could make sense here for this lineup would be something like a mini with Devonta Smith and Pat Fryermuth. Is is that something on a on a roster like this that would be interesting to you? Yeah, and I think that we have the salary to do that. In the same price range, we've got Adam Thielen at 6,200. You could go Thielen and Robbie Anderson. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah, let's throw let's throw that uh, Friar Muth and Devontae Smith in uh, and see what that leaves us with salary because I'm guessing that we will – yeah, like we can still go Van Jefferson and then whatever defense we want, right? Or we can go uh, – we can't quite go the Jets and Braxton Berrios. We're going to be 100 off from that. Uh, but Braxton Berrios is – going to be on the field he's the punt returner he's the kick returner so he pairs well with the Jets defense uh, he's an interesting piece this week uh, but yeah we can we if we want the I don't have anybody below Barrios on my like cheap wide receiver with upside list outside of Van Jefferson so uh, I would want to throw Van Jefferson on here and yeah. then that that'll leave us with 3,500 at defense which is again a price range that most people will not be in at defense and that allows us to get a different defense that a lot of people will have as well Yep. And this is also a lineup, you know, with the Ellinger, the JT, um, the Van Jefferson. Um, again, uh, you know, me was sometimes my, my late swap trigger fingers here, but you would have options of, you know, if your Moster, Tyreek Hill, Amon Ra, if this game just completely flopped or something, you would have a decent amount of flexibility here um, to move things around and get more balanced without basically the two punt plays there um, for Sam and Van Jefferson. And I do love this too, like the getting up at defense. I'm wondering with the salary relief this week, if maybe more people will get up, but my guess is, is knowing hand builders, they end up spending the money up on premium positions and, and rarely are paying up for defense. Yeah. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to spend that 3,900 on defense and for the Eagles. Cause then they're like, yeah, but I could go down to the jets or Patriots and use that one one k nine hundred in salary somewhere else, like you said, at one of these more premium positions. Uh, with thirty five hundred, we're in kind of a weird range where we don't really want um, the Dolphins against Detroit, especially not on this build. Uh, we probably don't want the Raiders on the road against New Orleans. We probably don't want Minnesota against Arizona. Uh, not a team that takes a ton of sacks or has a ton of mistakes. So probably the most interesting ones in here are Seattle at thirty two hundred at home against the Giants. Seattle's defense has been playing. Uh, really well, actually, the last three games. They had a lot of trouble with the Wildcat formation against the Saints, but played well outside of that. Played well each of the last two weeks. They're tough to play in Seattle. And then we got the 49ers uh, at 3,100 taking on the Rams. So either of those are interesting. I don't mind 49ers on a Van Jefferson roster because if the 49ers score a defensive touchdown, that increases the chances of Van Jefferson take, getting some downfield shots. Um, so either one of those are interesting on this particular build. 
Yeah, I agree. Niners look good to me. I'm curious. So, I mean, I know I was the one who pushed us in the Devonta Fryermuth direction, but I'm curious if you did end up building, you know, here and you have $400 left over, do you think you might um, try to circle back and be like, can we improve on Van Jefferson? Um, I know you mentioned the Robbie Anderson thing. I'm just curious, would this be a roster you were happy with, or would this feel slightly like a dead end? If we had a two hour show, I could spend the whole two hours like messing around with a roster. And what I would typically yeah. do is I'd find a point where it's like, okay, I like this point and I'd save it and then create new lineup, import that, make a couple more changes, save it, and just mess around with like 30, 40 different ways to play the end of this roster. Um, yeah. You know, we could go Irv Smith and Robbie Anderson, and then that can put us down in the cheaper defense and it gives us something interesting to do with that last spot. I mean, we can even go, I think we would even have the salary to go Tony Pollard here. Right. And so you could go Robbie Anderson, Irv Smith, you've got a, another pairing in another good game uh, and you got Pollard and you can go with the Patriots defense, the Jets defense, the 49ers defense that we just had. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to play around with the end of this roster. And obviously there's a lot of different starting points you can use, but from that starting point of, of Ellinger, Taylor, Mostert, Tyree Kill, Amon Ross St. Brown, which is the starting point I really, really like. There's a lot of fun stuff you can do. And if we let go of correlated pairings, if we go down to Logan Thomas at tight end, if we go from Robbie Anderson down to Van Jefferson, we've now bought ourselves the ability to go up. That's like 7,600 up to 7,800 if we change our defense in this flex spot, right? And so who else is going to have Jonathan Taylor, Tyree Kill, Amon Ross St. Brown, and another player who's 7,500 or above on their roster. So yeah, just a lot of really fun stuff that we can do with the end of this roster and a lot of plus EV ways to play it. Realistically, once you find a way that's like, it's like, okay, this is plus EV, we can put it in play. But if we're trying to get down to like a main build, then I want to kind of keep messing around with different ways to put together and try to find what I think is the most plus EV way to play it. For sure. And that's uh, that's the fun of all of this, too, is and in, in why I think the building block concept makes so much sense, because you have these blocks and then, you know, you know how that's how you're starting your lineup. And then there's all these different permutations and ways that you can kind of stick the landing, so to speak. And you guys can <laughs> we can, always, we can still go like 100 different ways at these last four spots, which shows oh, like yeah. how many ways you could go from the starting point on, right? So yeah, getting those building blocks in place where it's like, okay, this is plus EV. I don't know if it's going to hit this week or not, but I know it would make me money over time. Now I have my starting point and I can mix and match from there. Yeah, I, I love being able to do that. Well, uh, yeah, this was, a, this was a fun exercise. This show always gets me very excited to start messing around with my practice builds over the weekend as we head toward Sunday. Uh, JM, again, let people know kind of the cadence for the content that's coming out on OWS. I know once we hit to Friday, that's when you guys are really getting ramped up to get everything up on the scroll. Yeah, Thursday and Friday is NFL Edge, which is where all the games are broken down top to bottom. DFS interpretations come in throughout the day on Friday. And then the scroll by Friday night is when we start really getting stuff uh, in the scroll and then all day throughout the day Saturday. So as you see, all of these articles are kind of in one central space. You can scroll through them. You can jump from article to article uh, and player pool strategy content is all in this space. So uh, yeah, basically everything that you need for the weekend from a player pool perspective, from a strategy perspective is all kind of found in the scroll uh, in one spot. Nice, a nice um, kind of user experience, both on desktop and on mobile to be able to find everything in one spot and just jump from article to article. 
Yep, and later uh, this weekend is where you'll get JM's full player grid as well as the rest of the building blocks, a couple of which we teased today on my end. Again, make sure you guys are hopping into the Deposit Kingdom rake-free tournament that DraftKings hooks us up with. I will be back, as always, on Sunday morning for YouTube members for the Last Minute Cram. We look at, you know, overnight news, updated ownership. We check a look, take a look at some of those ceiling optimals and know what we're going to be competing against in our rosters. Uh, all kinds of that good stuff. Highly recommend joining that. And I should also mention, and I know JM is a fan of these guys, uh, we, uh, the Badge Bros, are now chilling in the Deposit Kingdom Discord. We're going to do yeah. a we're going to do a little Discord hang here in about an hour, uh, fire up the screen share, do a couple Battle Royale drafts. But uh, those guys are absolutely crushing it uh, over there with the Badge Bros Jam. Yeah, uh, Hilo's been on there quite a bit as well. Yep. I'm hoping to hop on their show uh, this week or next week. I guess not this week, but sometime soon. Um, but yeah, I love what they're doing over there. Yep. So if you guys are in the Deposit Kingdom, you'll see us pop up in one of those voice channels around 4 p.m. If you guys want to come hang here, uh, follow JM to win on Twitter at JM to win. Anything else? Any parting shots here? No parting shots. We'll see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend. Peace, guys.